This is Safety Bri, your number one safety geek. Why do we have the behaviors that we do? Superheroes in the workplace, right? All of those things that go into making you an effective safety manager. I love what we do. Motivation, learning, teaching, training, teamwork. I geek out over that just as much as I do safety. Hello, 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 all my safety friends. How are you doing? Welcome. Welcome to the Safety Geek Podcast. This is Bri, your number one safety geek. And today, I want to talk about compliance programs. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons why this came up is that this week, I have been working on writing SOPs for the Ask Safety Geek website because I am kind of expanding my team and hiring people to help me on the back end and they have to know how to do everything I have to do. So I've been writing SOPs, not safety related, (laughs) how to edit a podcast, you know, how to write show notes, that type of stuff. But it got me thinking about compliance programs because I am approaching writing these SOPs almost like how I would approach a written program. And that's way different than when I was a brand new safety manager, how I would write a compliance program. What I used to do in the very beginning was like, oh, we need a HASCOM program. I'd write it, I'd show it to my boss, and boom, I would put it in place. And then I would be shocked that nobody was following it. So over the years, I've developed a process on how to actually write a compliance program that people will actually stand behind and follow. So I wanted to share that with you. Let me see. I wrote all the steps down here. How many do we have? It is 10 easy steps. 10 easy steps. Didn't we do 10, a list of 10 last week too? (laughs) So you're getting lots of lists of 10. So anyway... Let's get started. So when you are wanting to write a compliance program, so a compliance program can be anything. It doesn't necessarily, I'm calling it a compliance program, but it could be any safety program, right? So like I had a program on how to report accidents and injuries. That's not necessarily compliance because the laws and regulations don't require that you have a written program on that, but it could be just any policies or procedures. You know, anything that you're writing that you want to put in place. So your step one is to identify the program and to gather the information. So it could be gathering the information could mean could mean actually going to the regulation books and pulling out the regulation. And I actually love to do this as step one is I, I read the regulation. I know um, I'm a nerd that way. <laughs> but I read the regulation and I also love to read um, what is it? It's the questions that people enter, not the letters of interpretation, but as the regulation was being developed, they had, you know, sessions within the committees and all the notes and all of that. I love to read the backstory of the regulation too. That helps give you a good understanding of the purpose of the regulation. I like to read what the current policy is and make notes as to what I'd want to see changed or updated if there is a current policy. I would also look at what the current practice is. So I would do some observations and some trending and see what the current practice is within my facility. So I might have a current policy. Are they actually following it? Um, What is working? 
with that current policy, what isn't working, what is working with our current practices, what are the things I'm concerned about, what are the things that other people have brought up. And then I would put my executive advisory committee on notice. So I would tell my executive, my executive team, like, hey, I'm looking to revamp whatever policy it happens to be, the lockout tagout policy or the fall protection policy, whatever it happens to be. So I put them on notice that, hey, I'm, I'm looking to do this, but I'm going to be following a process. So that's all my step one is, is identifying what I'm going to be doing and then researching and gathering information. All right, then step two, I always go and I talk to the people that the policy affects before I even write one word of it. I go talk to the supervisors, the frontline supervisors. I go talk to the employees. And then I say to them, hey, you know, I'm looking to revamp this policy. Do you have any input? What do you think is working? What do you think we could be doing better? Is there something that doesn't necessarily need to be policy? Or is there something that does need to be policy? So you have to caution yourself is that sometimes you put too much into your policies and you don't want to handcuff yourself. So talking to the people that use the policy is a really, really good idea. So I always make notes of what they want and what they say generally takes priority when I am writing the program. And then anything that I observed or any trending that I saw in my step one, I would talk to them about that too. And I would say, hey, you know, I observed that you're doing it this way and it's, you know, making you go quickly, but it's putting you at risk for such and such injury. And I would ask them about it. And I would say, hey, you know, why are we doing it that way? And get some input on that. So that's all of my pre-work. The first two steps are basically pre-work. I have not written a single word yet. (laughs) Right now, then we move on to step three, and that's where I draft my policy. So when I draft my policy, I always start with a nice little outline of the sections that I want to have in place. My go-to sections are always like the purpose of the policy, the scope, the responsibilities. So that way I remember to list who has responsibilities and for what. I list documentation and record keeping as, as well as record retention because generally every policy is going to want to have that training. And if it's something that's going to have an inspection process, I'll put that in there as well. And another big one is management of change. So I always try to have a section within my policies that's going to address what happens when we have a change to our process or procedure. That's what management of change is about. What are they going to follow when they're bringing in new equipment and or we're starting to make a different kind of widget. So that is man- every policy should have management of change. So that way you don't have to have a separate management of change policy. It's always addressed within whatever aspect of that policy. Right. So then I write my draft and I love to use watermarks on my draft as well. So within Word, you can add a watermark to the to the page so it says draft do not distribute um, something like that so that way everyone knows this is a draft version and I usually number my policies in the footer so a draft would be like a D a D1 
And then if I made changes to the draft, it would be a D2 or D3. And then once it's released in the final version, I, I change that to a V for version. I'm really big on version control. So I'm drafting the policy. So it's a complete draft. It has the nice little watermark. I write the whole thing out. I also make a list as I'm writing the policy as to what complementary items need to be created as well. Do I need to make inspection forms, observation forms, training documentation, training materials, awareness materials, think of like posters or things like that to make people aware of the policy. So I'll make a note of that too, and, I, and I'll put that to the side. And then th- that would follow the same process, but I'm not going to talk about how you create those materials today. All right. So I make the draft policy, and then I have a list of everything I'm going to make as well to go along with it. And then I take that policy, the draft, back to the employees and supervisors. They're the first ones to get a look at it. Not my executive committee, not my management team. I mean, supervisors are part of the management team, but they're the frontline supervisors. I take it to them first and the employees. And I have a handful of them review it. Because this policy is going to affect them the most. So I want to make sure that they have some input into the policy. This is how you start to change that culture and change that commitment to safety within your facility by including the people that safety affects most in the decision-making process. So they may not agree with everything that you've written in your draft, and that's okay. This is your chance to explain and have those conversations, and then you can come to a compromise. And if you were a union organization, I would also take it to the union at this point as well, while it's in the draft stage before it's actually released. If they have questions too, like things that they're okay with, but they ask questions about, I would record all those questions so that way I can create a list of frequently asked questions. So that can go out with the policy as well when it's finished. So that'll solve a lot of those problems. So that way people can ask those questions. Because a lot of people, when you read, when you write a policy, and let's say it's like seven or eight pages long, they might not want to read the whole thing and they'll just ask you a question. So you can say, well, here's the frequently asked questions that you created from all this review process. So once the employees and supervisors have reviewed the draft, I'm then going to go back and edit the draft with any of the changes that we agreed upon. And that's going to be my D2. So that'll be a draft two. And that'll be my final draft. And it's still in draft form at this point. But now I'm going to take it to my executive advisory committee. And I like to create a team of the executive staff that we meet once a month and talk about safety. That's what I call the executive advisory. But it could just be the higher up management at your location. But then I take it to them. And then I go, okay, this is what I came up with. And generally, I'll email it to them ahead of time before the meeting about it. So that way they have time to read it. This is where you might get some pushback. You know, you've already had maybe a little bit of pushback with the employees and supervisors, but maybe you felt more comfortable having the conversations with them. But once you're taking it to the executives, it's getting real, right? So when they don't agree with you, sometimes that's a bit harder. So this is where I want to remind you not to get discouraged if they disagree with anything in your policy. Don't take it personally. They have a business to run too. 
So you just have to, if there's something that you feel strongly about in your policy, you have to be able to back that up with why you feel so strongly about it and why it's so important. And how are you going to sell it to them? Going back to previous episodes, right? So don't get discouraged if they say no. Don't hang your hat on it either. Meaning a lot of times what I'll see uh, safety managers do is their advisory committee will tell them no about something and that's it. Job's over for them. Nothing is ever going to be a win again because this one policy about wearing safety vests in the warehouse failed so they can't do anything else. You don't want to do that. It just means that no is a no for right now. That's all. Okay. So don't hang your hat on it. It's not personal. The executive team just sometimes has a different perspective that you need to respect because they're not living in the same world that you are. You know, their goals and their concerns are different than what your goals are. Get the review on the policy. Take any notes that they gave you, unless they shot the whole thing down. And that's when you take it back, and now you're going to create your final version. So at this advisory review, you're not finalizing the policy. You're just getting their input, so that way you can finalize the policy. So you have to go back, make any changes, create any of the accompanying items, right? So if you had training materials that you needed to make, make those, any forms, inspection forms, training forms, anything like that, create all of those and also create a way for sign-offs, like approvals of the policy too. So some people put policy approvals in the policy themselves, and some people do it as a separate document. doesn't matter. Either way works, just so long as it has a date. Right? And next, what you're going to do, this is going to be step eight. You're going to create a launch plan. You can't just say, it's signed off on now, it's written, it's finalized, we're good to go, policies in place. You could do that with some, but very few should be done that way. So what you want them to be done is that it's like a big kickoff, a big party, a big way that people understand that there's a new policy in place. So I love to do a kickoff where maybe we have a taco day, you know, and we're making tacos. And why are we making tacos? Well, we're celebrating our new, you know, hazard communication program. And everybody... We're going to be, while you're eating your tacos, we're going to be talking about the changes in the new policies. So you're going to do a little bit of training with it. Maybe you're going to do some handouts and some incentives, incentives related to the policy. You know, you can get some really good ones that are like candy with little clever puns related to safety. You can do some nice little promotional handouts to go along with it. You can, you know, do, if we're talking housecom, I love the idea of like an SD, find the SDS type of contest. You will then, after you've launched the policy, so you've, you've kicked it off, you've trained on it, you've incentivized it. Now you're going to do some observations. So you're going to watch people work within the scope of that policy and you're going to make sure that they understand it. Because if they don't understand it, then you had a disconnect in your training or in the way the policy was written. So you have to make sure that they completely understand it before you can move forward. 
Right now, step nine is going to be making sure that you update any current um, forms or policies that happen to be out there. So a lot of times we create policies and we use them to write the SOPs. So then when we go to write the SOP, when we go to train on the SOPs later, they haven't been updated with the new policy. So you want to take a step back and say, let's double check everything and make sure that anything that needs to be updated is updated. Or if you have an inspection form that's like an all-in-one inspection form and it's listing everything that gets inspected every single month, but now you have this new policy, maybe you need to add a few lines to that inspection form. So make sure that you don't miss that step. That's very important. And then the last step is scheduling a review. So policies should be reviewed on a regular basis. And I used to be a fan of reviewing them every single year, but that is very time consuming. So as long as you're reviewing them every two to three years, it's it's good. OSHA will be happy with that. Most regulatory bodies would be happy with that. They kind of like the two year more than three, but there's no need to have to look at it every single year. Now, if there's a change, if there's something that happened, like let's say an accident investigation, the corrective action was you're going to change the policy, that's fine. But just like, hey, I have this accident reporting policy and nothing has changed in it. I'm just going to review it just to review it for reviewing sake. You only really need to do that about every two years. And here's my thing about annual reviews, because I am a big person about version control. And let me tell you a story here. So I was a safety manager at this facility, and they had a devastating accident 10 years prior to me being there. And the person that was injured, they had an attorney this whole time, and they were getting paid workers' comp, but the gentleman just wanted to collect his indemnity check because he was already done with his medical. He had permanent disability. He just wanted his medical taken care of for the rest of his life. And he wanted to collect his indemnity check, and he wasn't concerned about anything. So that's how it had been for about 10 years before I came on board. And then he changed his mind, and he decided to settle it. And we had to go to court, and within court, they wanted to see what the policy was at the time of the accident. And we only had the current policies, because every time the person before me, every time they they uh, updated the policy, they just got rid of the old one. So version control is extremely important for the legal matters. It's really the only reason is for legal and regulatory. And for those two causes, most of the time, you only need to keep it for five years. But my case was extreme, where it was 10 years. And we didn't have it. And we still came out fairly okay. But still, if it's easy for you to keep a version control, then keep a version control. And there's many document management systems that can do that for you. You can even do it simply just by making sure you save them correctly, that you use the review process in Word and save a redline version that shows any changes that you made. And then using the document numbering system. So if I'm making a policy today, it's going to be version one. And when I update it in two years, and I made a couple of tweaks to it, it's going to be version two. You know, you're just going to keep doing it that way. And you'll make notes of version two came out, you know, in 2021, or or whatever it happens to be. But put the plan in place, 
make a note as to when they were last reviewed and when they need to be reviewed again so that way you don't forget. There is nothing worse than walking in to do an audit and you look at the policies and they haven't been updated in five or six years. Even though when you read them, nothing needs to be updated in them. I get that. But from a regulatory standpoint, that's not a good thing. It makes it look like you don't, you're not maintaining your policies. So you've got to make sure that at least every year, two years, no more than three years, you're updating those policies and you're looking at them regularly. And for me, I kind of take it as every time there's an accident investigation, if it's going to relate to one of those policies, then I'm going to look at it anyway. And I'll just use that as an update date. Okay, so that is my process for implementing a compliance program to make sure that everybody is on board ahead of time and that when it is launched out, everybody is agrees to it and they actually follow it. Because they were involved in every step of the process, it makes it a lot easier to launch the compliance program. So before I jump off here, let's just review it one more time. Your first stage is identifying the program and then gathering all the data. So all your research, um, all the regulations. You're going to talk to employees and supervisors, get their input. You're going to draft your program. And then step four is taking it back to those employees and supervisors to get their approval and see what they want changed. Step five is finalizing your draft. It's still in draft version. When you take it back to the advisory committee, and then you tell and you ask them for their opinion. This is when you're going to get their approval on the policy. Step seven is creating your sign-off pages, any accompanying forms, and then getting your advisory committee to sign off on it. Step eight is launching your policy. And do this the right way. Have a good kickoff. Include some training, some incentives, you know, some promotional items. People will never forget that policy. And then step nine is updating any of the current forms that are in use to reflect the new policy. And then the last step is scheduling it for review. And you want to review them at least every two years, two to three. You can go to three, but I prefer two. All righty, my safety friends, that is all that I have for you this week. I hope that you found that helpful. If you want to know other ways about how to get employees involved in every step of the process, so that way when you go to launch your stuff, they actually follow it, you want to make sure that you are in my Safety Culture Boot Camp, which should be launching within the next couple months. And the best way to get notified of that is to get on my mailing list. So right now, if you go to asksafetygeek.com forward slash scorecard, you will be taken to a page where you can get into my mailing list, but then I will also send you a pretty awesome safety program self-assessment. I have to say, it's pretty amazing. And you can score your safety program and see what you're doing well and what needs improvement, and then also have some ideas for improvement. Okay, so until next time, you guys have a great week. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What did you think about this week's episode? I would love to know. Hop on over to www.asksafetygeek.com 
to leave a comment and a rating on this week's show notes. And while you're there, click on that little share button and tell your friends about it. Thanks, and I will chat with you next week.